Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta? MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Welcome to What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. You're here with Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn, and I'm reflecting on beginnings and endings. We welcome... Or middle, or middle of the storms. We don't know yet. (laughs) I'm trying to find some markers of time, not just the endless sea of days, but there's a sort of worldwide conversation about race and racism. And then there's the sort of the institutional conversation when a new group of students or a new semester starts, how do you bring people in and convey to them your values and that they're part of a new community and how they can share and express those values? Mm-hmm. So those are sort of the, the threads that, that I've been thinking about and wonder if we could go through some, some tips on how do you, this is the, the delta here is how do you change your stance as a representative of an institution to be uh, be true to your values and make your learners see that and share them. I, I think it's such an important topic because as you were saying that, Peter, I like something that was, I'm like very visual. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, when you walk into a building or a new program and there's that first person that kind of welcomes the entire cohort. And if that same script was read with the same tone, and you could just kind of visually change how that person appears, how is it received? And does it change based on the appearance? And so I think I love what you're talking about because, you know, it is a problem. Like, how do you convey what your values are regardless of how you look or regardless of who's welcoming them or, you know, regardless of who's walking in the room? It's a similar principle, I think, of any of these core ideas that we as educators try to convey that learners pick up on all the other cues. If we say we'll be a good interprofessional collaborator and then we denigrate physical therapists or they notice that we don't include any other professions when we're talking, they're going to pick up on that undercurrent. And it's similar with some of these ideas that they're just sort of anodyne statements of yes, 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 we believe and respect everyone, but then there's no action to back it up. Mm-hmm. Students will see that as hollow. Mm-hmm. So well, one of the things that I think you bring to this, Janice, is your work in the Center for Medical Simulation on the basic assumption. Uh-huh. Do you want to say how that helps set the scene for some of this learning to happen? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, um, as a behavioral scientist, when I when I study how different teams relate to different people, what I do notice sometimes is um, as long as you have this kind of curiosity and honesty about you, it's forgiving. Um, and you're already kind of naturally set up to be able to give hard-hitting feedback. And anything that you do is often um, received well. And... Uh, And so we talk a lot about this thing that you're mentioning called the basic assumption, um, which the way it's stated at the Center for Medical Simulation is um, 
uh, everyone participating in any educational activity is intelligent, is capable, cares about doing their best and wants to improve. In other words, everyone is well-intended. And to just kind of have that respect for each other as you're learning with the sole purpose of we're here to learn. And it just, it conveys, I think it's for faculty, if you could hold the basic assumption for your learners, they can feel that. And why I'm just kind of going back to what I said about, you know, when people are naturally curious and honest, they're just received well. I've just noticed that when people have the basic assumption of you, you can feel it. So, for example, if you go to a store and let's say you ask for something and the person thinks you're an idiot, you can feel that they think you're an idiot. It's the same thing with curiosity and honesty. And when your students can feel that, that you are translating values in that way. And... And often you'll have somebody welcoming a crowd who doesn't feel honest, who doesn't feel transparent or curious and might not, you know, you, you might, it might feel like a script. Anything that comes out of that person's mouth might feel more like a script than, than values being translated. Okay, and that's particularly important when some of these values, at least have the potential to be charged. And it's a shame that it's been so politicized. Because that, I think, takes away from the basic assumption. You just, particularly a learner can say, oh, these are propagandizing liberals who want me to think a certain way. And this is not about partisan positioning. This is about the society we live in and the patients and clients that our learners will encounter are embedded in that society. So for me, an essential first tip for an educator welcoming a group of learners into their community is to be explicit about what your values are. And I know the MGH Institute, we've gone through an evolution, which you can trace just in the names of things that we had a diversity council long, long ago. And then we had, and that sort of was, okay, there's a place for one of each of us, the Noah's Ark approach, and everyone gets heard. Then it was some dignity and respect. Like, no, 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 we got to do the golden rule. We got to make sure that we're being culturally competent. And okay, if you're from Latin America, you believe in the evil eye, and we got to make sure we teach our students, okay, you see a Hispanic, think evil eye, and that's part of their health worldview. And now, just a few years ago, we put in equity and inclusion, because really what we're talking about is structural racism, which we were dancing around because it's unpleasant to talk about and we're a predominantly white institution. We've benefited from some of that racism to get a position of prestige. And to say that that's not good for the people who are on the lower end of the power differential, and it's not good for the people who are on the privileged end either, it's not good for your health to be maintaining those barriers. And so call it out and say, today we're talking about racism. So I think what you're talking about is making these things that are seemingly undiscussable, discussable up front. And, and I think that that's so important and amazing. And even just to bring that up as a discussion is powerful. Asking the students and, and the faculty to talk about it. You can Sorry, see the, the hesitance that many faculty would have because you know, I'm I'm a nurse educator, I'm a medical educator, I'm not a trained race scholar, and and you know we're not asking people to 
lead a sort of graduate seminar on the theories, asking them to talk about it in, in a way that's, that's true to who they are and that is relevant to the subjects that they teach. Because whatever you teach, I had a faculty member a long time ago now say, you know, I teach anatomy. It's just bones. There, there's no race there. And you would say, oh, my gosh, the history of anatomy in this, in this, not just the United States, but in the way bones are acquired, in the way that biological ideas of race difference have been uh, instantiated across the, the centuries. You know, there, there's a lot of richness there, even if you think I'm just doing my technical area. It's part of it. I guess One thing that's coming to mind is the importance of the students and the faculty also having, I should say, the receiver of an interaction or an event, also having the basic assumption for the speaker. Because I'm thinking about, you know, if somebody were to get go up to the podium or let's say I'm watching in these times, I'm watching a video recording of Talking Head saying, you know, we believe in and then you've got equity and fairness and, you know, a whole script of values. As a receiver, we all have biases. Like it's every single person is not free of bias. Like everybody has some sort of implicit bias or explicit bias. And and I can just see many people, and I'm guilty of this myself, judging the person that's saying it. And, and so being able to hold the basic assumption as a receiver of that, of whatever's being said, you know, that, you know, maybe they do believe this, maybe it is in them. Um, and I think there are certain things, and, and maybe that's where our tips are going, in certain things that we could do that could make it seem more real and unquestionable. And and so I think you're right. I think the first tip is being explicit. What are we even talking about? What What is this anyway? So being explicit about it. And I also think that a second tip is being honest, transparent, and authentic in that interaction. Right. And part of that honesty is acknowledging your bias or your position. Uh-huh. And this is the the invisible baggage of whiteness often. I'm just assuming that many of our faculty, just statistically and senior leaders, are are identified as white. And certainly we hear from students and Robin DeAngelo, who wrote the book White Fragility, often asks her students and listeners to talk about the first time you remember race in your life and that as being a concept. And what was really telling is when we've done this in groups, that most of the people of color, you know, go back to like from the moment I was born. And most of the white people go to, oh, I had a, a friend on the block who was different. Mm-hmm. And they don't say that their whiteness was an experience of race, too. The fact that they lived in a neighborhood that had a certain amount of wealth or a certain amount of uh, protection from the police, that it was just an invisibility cloak. It didn't seem like it was the absence of race to them. And and her idea is you lift that up and say, no, you too have experienced race. It's a white race in the case of many people. But that is has texture and meaning in and of itself. And I think that's the sort of transparent transparency that you're talking about to say, you know, I come from this position and it, it affects how I see things and I can't change it, but I can be honest about it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, and I think the degree, the degrees of 
discrimination based on different variables, you know, differ. Of of course, the, the you know, discrimination with race or gender is just a lot higher than other areas of discrimination, yet everybody has experienced discrimination in, in one way or the other and what that feels like. And, and, and we judge. And, and then as, as the, you know, rather than thinking of the victim, thinking of the people who are interacting, we judge as well, or the victims, all everybody, everyone actually judges on privilege. You know, like, when you first meet someone, it, it's, I think it's a pretty subconscious and maybe conscious um, thing that we do is, you know, how privileged is this person? And that might appear as, you know, are they wealthy or what is their profession? Where are they on, on whatever hierarchy I respect? So, so we all judge in that way. And that to me is the probably most difficult tip, which is to admit your ignorance or admit your fault because we're in the knowledge business. We're not used to getting up in front of learners and saying, I don't know, we haven't figured this out. But that humility and creates a space where people can see possibility because it's not closed off. It's not a list, ordered list, you must do this and then this and then this and then racism will disappear. It took centuries to become entrenched. It's going to take a long time to undo. But if you admit that you have to do something, and you may not know what that is yet, but you can explore that with your colleagues, with your learners, that gets toward this basic assumption that we started with. I think people will be more trusting of you because they see that humility. Yeah, so true. And then also on the reverse. So for example, you know, with all of these ongoings, uh, with all of the protests and a focus on on race, I have to say that I've had this surprising reaction that I haven't felt since high school, actually. You know, for our listeners, I'm dark-skinned, Filipino, Asian, um, and, you know, I have my mask very on. <laughs> very, very short. Nurse. I'm all like the uh, minority check marks here. Uh, but I, I um, go, I, I go to the grocery store and I, and it actually occurs to me, I think to myself, you know, are, are people, everybody I will naturally acknowledge and see that I'm, you know, the color of my skin. But but now I'm wondering, are people actually looking at it and judging based on that? And, and so why I, I'm saying the reverse is that goes on for me and, and that can easily allow me to react differently. And so I constantly have to try to hold the basic assumption for anyone that I'm interacting with when I'm, especially when I'm feeling that way to think, okay, this is just going on for me right now. And nobody's done anything to make me think that it's just kind of going on for me. But when you do, when you do interact, as you're saying, when I feel like someone's authentic and they're not afraid to discuss some things, uh, that puts me so much more at ease and allows me to hold the basic assumption even stronger for individuals. I feel their values. Right. You've nicely encapsulated our our tips to to be explicit, to name it. And this is what we're talking about. And there there are, as you mentioned, Janice, there are a lot of discriminations, but if your values as an institution is to care for a diverse society or to make prepare your learners to engage with families and clients from all backgrounds, you have to confront racism. 
and then to be transparent and authentic about it, about your own positionality, about the history and legacy that you're a part of, and then to be humble and admit there are things you don't know. And when you do that, you you overcome all the trepidation because institutions and faculty don't like to say, um, all right, let's start off talking about structural racism today. It doesn't seem like your place. It doesn't seem like a way to welcome people. But I can tell you if you don't talk about it, the students notice that too. And we've experienced now for the last six entering cohorts, uh, we've had a, a day one discussion on racism. And the very first one, I can be honest, there was a hesitation to have discussion groups. Like, no, just listen. We don't want to uncork anything. They're going to be so rattled. And by the second time, I realized, no, they want to talk about this. And in the end, it affirmed their decision to go into healthcare and to come to this particular institution. And it sets up the obligation for us to continue the conversation. I know that's a whole nother podcast about how you keep the, the naming, the authenticity, the humility going throughout a curriculum. Uh-huh. So I think vulnerability, that's so important, like being humble. It, it plays such an important role in the interactions when it comes to topics like this or cultural interactions, multicultural interactions. And there's a sensitivity to this one that I just want to explore with you for a bit, Peter. What's the sensitivity that I'm talking about? So when I first moved to uh, Massachusetts, I, I had lived in Philadelphia first for 11 years and I lived in California for 11 years and then came to Massachusetts. And I was kind of shocked that every single place where we went, I would get the question, what are you? What are you? <laughs> and, and then I started playing around. I should not have. Um, but uh, the good the good thing about it was when I was asked that, it was you could feel the curiosity. That was me, though. I, I, I feel like I just kind of laughed it off, told people, would have conversations with people that asked. Yet I can see a lot of my friends would be very sensitive to that question. In fact, offended. And so there is a sensitivity of like, is it okay to, to be, to say, you know, I don't, I actually don't know anything about your ethnicity or your upbringing, or I don't know much about you, uh, where are you coming from? When can that be offensive and when is it not? Well, I'm not talking about the individual level at all. I don't think any faculty member or colleague should say that. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that's not the point. The, the point is how we're all part of this system of hierarchies that is reinforced through policies and through elected officials and through access. And what an educator can do is to shine a light on that level so no one feels singled out because we're all a part of it and we all have to be responsible for dismantling it. And that way, in, in a way, it's a bigger problem, but it's sort of easier to go at because you don't have those individual sensitivities. You don't have to worry, am I offending someone? When you're at, a, bigger, when you're at a more public setting. When you're, when you're at a more macro level. Okay. And then by doing that, students of color, people who are different can relax a little because they know, all right, this has been called out. People, the, the, the leaders here, the educators have pointed out that we're in this 
system. And they've acknowledged that I live with those eyes on me, like you've been describing. You know, a white student probably doesn't feel that when they enter into a classroom for the first time. No one says, oh, I know how they got in. It's <laughs> not something they ever think about. But if a faculty member calls attention to this whole sort of substrate we're in, then that alleviates some of the individual sensitivity and allows them to be more successful. I think that's, I, so I think that is key. And and I like what you're saying. And I, I also think that being open, because I'm just thinking about those people who like to share, who who feels who feel so compelled in that moment to to say out loud their difference. So I, I guess what I'm trying what am I trying to say here? In in a macro sense to acknowledge that we all have our own differences and come at it from that standpoint and also welcome individuals to talk about their differences as they feel comfortable doing so, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) I think ultimately it's hard to get past that level, the one-on-one. And yet it's helpful to remember that we're not representatives of our categories, whatever they are. We are individuals. And that to me is the beauty of the basic assumption that Mm -hmm. we bring our own selves, the, the factors that shaped us and the biases and the assumptions come to the learning environment. And that's where you start. And rather than saying, oh, you know, Janice, she's a nurse. Therefore, nur- I know nurses are like this. So therefore, Janice is like that. Or Janice is a woman and women uh, conform to the following set of characteristics. No, this is Janice. She's singular. And those experiences may have shaped who she is, but the combination is unique. And that's who's in front of me, and that's who has to learn. This is so interesting. I feel like I can talk about this forever. I also feel like what you're doing, uh, at least these three tips, if, if you were to be explicit, be authentic, be humble, essentially, and humble collectively, acknowledging that everyone is their own individual with their own biases, with their own backgrounds, with their own cultures that differentiate you are essentially, you know, we, we keep talking about, you know, Amy Edmondson's concept of psychological safety in education. And to me, this is setting a almost like a cultural safety container of we're all we're all here and equal on this plane. And and by equal, we don't mean equal. We mean equal in that we're all different and we acknowledge that. <laughs> right, because right, that would be. Laughable, like we know we're not equal. There's some people who have power and some people who don't, and some people you know, come in with advantages and others don't. So acknowledging that, but we can all get to the end goal together. We can all get licensed. We can all go into our profession, mm-hmm. and it is that range of experiences that, that make clinicians so uh, successful that they're bringing those different perspectives because there's a, a range of patients and clients out there. Well, thanks, Peter. I think I'm going to be thinking about this <laughs> even after this podcast. Well, I can tell you that you're right. There is more conversation and we often have faculty say, you know, sometimes these questions of race come up in class and I, I don't know how to address it. And these are people who in their clinical lives talk about the hardest subject. They talk about death. They talk about uh, risk. They, they talk about illness and 
And yet when it comes to this one topic, they feel tongue-tied. You have to remind them, no, you're you're not coming in as the expert to lecture. Uh-huh. You're coming in with this experience to help facilitate a conversation so that everyone can incorporate it into their thinking. Well, it is. And maybe that's our next podcast, um, which is how to address it. Because even just podcasting about this, like I'm so hyper aware of the sensitivities of, you know, what could be misconstrued and just the sensitivities around the topic and, you know, avoiding trigger words. Like it's, I can see how it's a very scary conversation to have. And to summarize our three tips for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tip number one, be explicit. Be explicit about your values that you hold that are important to your organization. Tip number two, be authentic, be transparent, be honest. And tip number three, be humble. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Thanks for having the conversation with me, Peter. I I felt completely at peace. (laughs) The more we practice, the easier it gets. (laughs) And I wasn't offended at all by anything you said. Thank you. Neither I wasn't either. Thank you for listening to our podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your host, Janice Palaganis, and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.